Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are so glad that you have uh, tuned in uh, to our live stream services. Normally on a good Sunday, we'll have 100 or so people who are watching us online. Last Sunday, we had about 6,000. Uh, so we are just uh, thrilled to have all of you joining us here at, at Anderson Hills. Uh, let's continue to be the church. Uh, let's care for each other, check in on our neighbors and and on our friends, let's support our health care folks and, and our first responders and all those who are putting themselves uh, at risk as we go through this, uh, this time of crisis in our world. Um, let's just continue to be the church. Let's pray for these folks and, and let's support them. Uh, one of our members, uh, Dick Pertell, is the girls softball coach at, at Anderson High School right here in, in the township. And 2020 was to be their year. They had seven senior girls, and four of them had already signed up uh, to play at the college level. The chance of them winning their division was almost certain. And then along came the virus. Uh, maybe that's happened to you at times. Victory and success seem just within your grasp something that you had dreamed of and, and planned for for years, and then the unexpected came out of nowhere, and your dreams were crushed. And that's our story today. Uh, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. His ministry in the small towns and, and in the north had been extremely uh, effective. Huge crowds had followed him everywhere often to the point that he had to sneak away from uh, his followers just to get a little time of rest and privacy. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he taught the fascinated multitudes about the kingdom of God. And the movement was growing so, so rapidly that at times the, the poor disciples felt totally out of control and yet completely in love with the Master. This was to be their dream season. Jesus is heading to the big city. This is the journey that has to be made, and he knows what the outcome will be, and he tries to explain it to the twelve, but they just don't seem to understand. On the Mount of Olives, he mounted a donkey, and he begins the descent towards the city. And Matthew reports that a very large crowd began to take notice. They, they began to shout. They began to get excited. And some of them pull off their coats and they lay them down on, on the road in front of him. And some are taking off palm branches from the trees and, and they're laying them down and, and, and spreading them on the road. And, and some are quoting a messianic passage from Psalm 118 that says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who brings in the kingdom of David. And before long, a great crowd, a great chorus of gladness and hope, shouting with joy and excitement. That must have been an incredible scene. Down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, through the Golden Gate, right into the temple area. And then the unthinkable happens. Jesus makes out a whip of cords and he begins to overturn the tables of the money changers. Chaos ensues, angry vendors, harsh words, priests come running. 
Wait, Jesus. Don't do that. This is your moment. This is what we've been waiting for. This is your dream season. Don't blow it. Don't, don't antagonize the rulers. And quickly things begin to deteriorate. Plots coalesce. Bargains are made. Judas is bribed. On Palm Sunday, the crowds welcome him. On Friday, they kill him. Holy Week is a week of betrayal, of treachery, of denial, and lies. It appears to be a, a great victory and, and much success, but it turns into a total failure. And their dreams are crushed. Well, on Thursday, it was the Jewish feast of Passover. And the Jewish people would have been getting ready for, uh, for the Passover. At 3 p.m., the, the temple would have been prepared for the great feast day. And, and all the leaven would have been cleaned out and, and burned. And normally, the priests would work monthly shifts. But, but today, on this day, all the priests are on duty. The trumpets were, were blown by, by the Levites announcing uh, that the sacrifices were beginning. And the, as the worshipers came forward, bringing their lambs, uh, the choir began chanting the Hallel. And each lamb would have been brought to a priest and, and quickly dispatched with a single knife thrust. The blood would be drained into a gold tray and, and some of it taken and thrown against the great altar, declaring the redeeming action of God for his people. And the priests would, with the skill of a butcher, dress the lamb and then return it to the worshipers. The people would take the carcass back to the place prepared for the meal. The lamb would be roasted and then all reclined at table with their family and with their friends. After a blessing was said, the meal was opened with the first glass of wine. This would be followed by the eating of, of the lamb with bitter herbs dipped in a paste of mashed fruit and nuts. And following the second glass of, of wine, the son of the family or, or somebody so designated would ask the question, why is this night different from all other nights? And then in song and story, Exodus was retold of Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt. Jesus and his disciples, they do the same. They ask Jesus, where do you want us to have the Passover meal? And he says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him that the master has need of a room. And they find the man, he directs them to the house where preparations are made. Together they eat the Passover meal, they sing a hymn, Judas leaves, and they go to the Mount of Olives where Jesus wrestles in prayer while John and Peter and, and James sleep. Not long after, Judas leads a group of people armed with swords and clubs to the spot. He betrays Jesus with a kiss and then he is arrested, taken to the Sanhedrin and found guilty. Friday morning. He is brought before Pilate, who, after questioning him, finds him not guilty, but condemns him to death and sets a, a, a guilty man, Barabbas, free. And Jesus is beaten, humiliated, tortured, and whipped. And by nine o'clock in the morning, he is hanging on a cross. 
And it is a slow and it is a painful death. Here's how Matthew's gospel describes it. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, well, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city, and they uh, appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So Matthew describes here uh, the physical things that happened, the, the eerie darkness, Jesus quoting from Psalm 22 and, and being mistaken for calling for the prophet Elijah, and then his physical death, and then the tearing of, of the veil that separated the, the holy of holies. And then this fascinating story of, of, of the resurrection of some buried saints who come back to life and who appear to many people. I'll bet that was an interesting scene. And then the, the response of the Roman guards to it all. But this is the lower story. You see, there's, a, there's an upper story behind this event. It's not just about a dream season that, that ends in tragedy. God is up to something that nobody suspects, not even his closest followers. And it is the New Testament writers who try to explain what this event means. I want you to listen to a few of the scriptures. The gospel writers have Jesus saying at the Passover meal, Listen, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for you for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul writes in Romans 3, he says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. And then Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 or verse 12 says, Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And then the author of 1 Peter writes in chapter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then finally, in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, 
His Son purifies us from all sin. Uh, You see, there is something here uh, uh, about the blood that they understand plays a, a central role in this story. And you think about it, there's a number of hymns that also speak to this as well. A couple of them come to mind. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or there's another one. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sometimes you'll hear Christians pray something like, we plead the blood of Jesus over this situation. And you thought to yourself, what are they talking about? What's all this blood stuff? What's all these blood references? Does that sound kind of weird? Maybe like a bad horror movie. Are we really to plead the blood of, of Jesus? Are we to drink his blood or are we to wash in it? What's this all about? What do the New Testament writers mean by the blood of Jesus? Now remember that all the New Testament writers were Jewish, except Luke, we think, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts. And their sacred scriptures were not the New Testament. That would be near the end of the first century. It was the Old Testament. Those were the only scriptures they had to help them understand what the crucifixion of Jesus actually meant, that upper story. And the major theme, of course, of the Old Testament is sacrifice. If you've ever read through the book of Leviticus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it is not easy reading. I've had a number of people who decided to that I know that have started off reading through the Old Testament and they get to Leviticus and after a couple days, they're like, they're, they're stopping it. <laughs> I don't get all of this. What's this all about? It's about sacrifice. There are sin offerings and guilt offerings and, and thank offerings and burnt offerings and grain offerings and scapegoats and surrogates. I've been studying the Bible for some 40 years. I still get confused reading about all those sacrifices. But the purpose of them is not hard to understand. They were a means of grace to restore our relationship with God. Put another way, it it was a way for sinful people to approach a holy God. Leviticus says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations To be my own. You see, a a holy God wanted a a holy people to be a witness to the world, to the nations. Now that word holy means to be set apart. It means uh, to to be different. It's the same root word for saint or or sanctification or, or sacred. We find it used, first of all, in Genesis chapter 2, when when God says that seventh day is to be set apart, it is to be consecrated, it is to be a holy day for rest, the Sabbath day. And then in Exodus, Moses is told to take off his sandals because he is what? He is on holy ground. And in chapter 19 of Exodus, he tells Israel again that they are to be a a holy nation. You'll hear that over and over again in the Old Testament. God expects his people to be holy. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be holy? Well, it means to obey God's commandments. And what were his commands? Well, 
Jesus sums them all up. There's a lot of them, but Jesus sums it up in Matthew 22 when somebody asked him one day, Teacher, what are the great, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies what? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. That's the heart of holiness. The only problem is that we can't. Our sin nature keeps getting in our way. So why does God tell us to do something that we can't do? Why punish us for something that we can never attain to? You see, God's justice demands punishment, and we're the same way. We have this innate desire to, to see justice done. And so when a crime or an evil is committed, we want justice. And we want that, the punishment commensurate with the crime. And so these blood sacrifices were a way to help worshipers realize that without the shedding of blood, listen, there is no forgiveness. And it reminded them of their need of God's mercy and grace. Now, there were a number of, of festivals and sacrifices throughout the year. But, but the main sacrifice was the Day of Atonement, held on the 10th day of the 7th month in our calendar, uh, September, October. And the high priest would lead a young bull and ram into the outer court of the, uh, uh, of the temple or the tabernacle where he would confess his sins and, and lay his hands on the bull and slaughter it at the altar. And this was for his sins and for the sins of his family. He would take the blood and he would put it into a bowl, burn part of the bowl on the bronze altar, and then he would move to the bronze basin where he would wash his hands and feet and, and enter the holy place. See, they were even practicing, you know, good hygiene back then. And then facing the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, he would go in. See, that, that veil served as a barrier. And no one could go in to the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And, and only then on this day of atonement, and not without the blood. And inside the Holy of Holies was the ark. Simply a rectangular box made of acacia wood and covered in gold. And the lid of that was, was also called the mercy seat or the atonement cover was, was also gold with two cherubim on top with outspring, outspread wings that covered the lid. And that ark symbolized for the Jewish people the very presence and holiness of God. The priest would then dip his finger into the bowl of blood and sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat. And then seven times on the floor in front of the ark. And then he would leave the Holy of Holies, go back into the outer court of the, of the temple where he took two goats. And they threw lots, and one of the goats was sacrificed. He went back into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled the blood. The other goat was called the scapegoat. And the priest would confess the sins of the nation uh, over the goat, and then the goat was led out of the temple and released into the wilderness. And so the sins of the priest and the sins of the nation were atoned for another year. 
problem is it was temporary. It had to be done every year. It, it, it was not a permanent solution. And so the prophet Isaiah would write, The multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I've had more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. You see, the blood sacrifices meant nothing if there wasn't a change of, of behavior, a change of heart. And what should that behavior look like? Well, a clean heart. Again, Isaiah says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. And so for hundreds of years, these sacrifices are performed in the temple. But it doesn't change hearts. Instead, and what happens so often in the history of religion, it simply becomes a bunch of rules and rituals. We're helpless to change. And so because of that, God takes the initiative. God becomes one of us. God's love, God's holiness combined to do the unimaginable. God takes on our nature and becomes a human being. And God as human lives the perfect and sinless life. And he gives us an example of what that perfect life of love looks like. And that life ends with a sacrifice. And speaking of that, Jesus says in John 10, No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, and this command I received from my Father. See, it was, it was not a tragedy. It was not a, an, an accident. Jesus' death on the cross was part of the, of the plan of God to reconcile us once and forever to himself. Matthew records in his gospel that the moment Jesus died, that, that something supernatural uh, took place, that the curtain of the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn from the top down to the bottom. And, and so Jesus' followers looked at this event, and they looked at Jesus' death, and they wondered, what did this mean? And they looked at the Old Testament and they remembered the story of the Passover lamb who was sacrificed and, and the blood applied over the doorposts of the Hebrews' homes in Egypt so that the death of the firstborn was passed over. And they looked at all the sacrifices and, and all the offerings in the Old Testament and, and they saw the Day of Atonement with the scapegoat and the blood that was poured out on the mercy seat. And as followers looked at all of this and they understood Jesus as the fulfillment of it all. And they came to believe that Jesus Christ substituted himself in our place. That he suffered, that he died, and he took upon himself the sins of the world. So the writer of Hebrews would say this, But when Christ came as high priest to the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not a part of this creation. 
And he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And so, my friends, there is power in the blood. Jesus, or God himself, would be the sacrifice. Jesus, the Son of God, does not just offer a sacrifice. Listen, he becomes the sacrifice. And so he is both the high priest and the Lamb of God. And so the blood of Christ is is a symbol that stands for the suffering love of God. We are saved by the blood, and nobody is excluded, and it is free for all of us. And what it means for us is that Jesus' death on the cross has put an end to our separation from God, that the veil that separated the worshipers from God has been torn in two. To his followers... Initially, Holy Week looked like a horrible disaster. Their dream season was crushed. But it turns out that it was all a part, a plan of God to save us and to save you. On August the 16th, 1987, Northwest Airline Flight 225 crashed after taking off from Detroit Airport, killing 155 people. Only one person survived, a little four-year-old girl named Cecilia. And Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling, her mother, Paula, unbuckled her own seat, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and her body around Cecilia and would not let go. And such is the love of God for us. He left heaven, lowered himself to us, and covered us with the sacrifice of his own body to save us. And that's how much he loves us. Today we all have the opportunity to receive this gift, this mercy, this grace, this relationship with God. Maybe you have been seeking it for a long time. I want to encourage you in in your homes with your family or if by yourself to think about what this means. What would it mean for you to take the next step in your spiritual life? What would it mean for you to turn your life over to the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus? My friends, it will change everything in your life. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for becoming one of us. Thank you that you died for us so that that by believing in you, we can live life to the fullest. God, for those of us in our homes right now who who still aren't sure, who haven't been able yet to completely trust themselves to your love, God, help each and every one of us to take that step of faith, to trust you, to place our lives, our eternal lives, into your hand. God, this is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen.